again to the last theater my name is chris and my name is joey and joey we've made it we have finished the third of the main american slasher franchises we have finished with a nightmare on elm street all nine movies were in the wrap-up episode for our nightmare on elm street franchise retrospective which you can find on cnjradio.com by the way before before we get to the main idea chris uh-huh. that i know you wanted to bring up at the top of the show uh-huh we had the idea to do the wrap-up on Nightmare on Elm Street a few years ago, yes. and it actually has been delayed. Right. But I feel like this was meant to happen, that we had to do it this year, for sure. We're recording yeah. this in the year 2020. Yes. And it's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the first thing I'm taking away from this entire journey right now, that we started watching all these again Yeah. in this year. And as the year has progressed... It has turned into a living nightmare in a lot of ways, yeah. uh, personally and outwardly. So, yeah, I, that's the first thing that came to mind. We uh, haven't yeah. recorded one of these shows in a few weeks, and it seems like it's been months, but it really hasn't. Yeah. And it's that's all I could think of. Is that yeah. <laughs> this is this is the year we had to do it. It had to be done right here and, and now. So yeah, yeah. It, it's one of those serendipitous things, I suppose, in a weird, not great way, yeah. but. Also, watching these movies, I think, did kind of help put some continuity into the the trials and the struggles and everything that's been going on for everyone during this time. Yeah. But, yeah. I didn't mean to get heavy off the bat. I really didn't. But it just, that's the first thing that popped into my yeah, mind. It, no, it's yeah. it's a good point. And it's, it's one of those things where, I don't know, movies and life do kind of coincide in a lot of ways and you can especially with a series like this that's about dreams and interpretation and and getting stuff out of whatever is in your head and getting it out into your life i think that actually kind of it like you said it is is very apropos for the times we're in whether that's good or bad i don't know (laughs) but i don't think a lot of these movies knew exactly what they were trying to say either um and that kind of leads me into now that we've watched all of these movies again, for me, I know a lot of these I hadn't seen in years, maybe more than a decade for some of them, at least a decade, at least for the even the remake. Yeah, for the remake, yeah. for sure. <laughs> and uh, other ones I hadn't seen for probably longer than that. Um, but watching all of these in such a compact time frame, what do you think of the Nightmare on Elm Street series as a whole on its own and kind of compared to the Halloween and Friday series? I actually came into this series with a lot more positivity. Yeah. I I thought immediately, well, there's more good than bad in this series. Mm -hmm. And I didn't exactly feel that way about most any of the other ones. Right. So I did, I I guess I did come in with a a favorite of all the franchises, and Mm -hmm. this kind of was it. I don't know if it's the most fun per se. Right. Uh, You know, I kind of lean on the Friday movies being more fun. Even even yeah. if they're bad, right. like that's that's you know I I feel more joy than not in a sense, and the bad ones are bad of course, yeah. and there's bad ones in the uh, all these series. Yeah, but I came into this one like you know really gung ho about it, and I was like, well, there's not as many, 
you take you <laughs> right. uh, you take two or three off of a series, yeah. it just seems like it's going to be a lot easier. And right. It does seem like it has been. I know you've been really heavy on, you know, just really diving into these, and not mm-hmm. that you didn't know the other ones, but I noticed this about you, Chris. That yeah. You you evolved as as the pure host of the show. And, and really stepped up. And I had a lot of fun just finding out the things that you found out just via you. Yeah. So these are the things I took away from it. Awesome. So that's my initial reaction to this whole wrap-up. I feel kind of similarly. It's it's interesting that you say that the Friday series feels more fun overall, given that Freddy Krueger is the most fun villain of almost probably maybe all time. Yeah, not even arguably, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. And, but it... It's interesting that you say that because I kind of agree with you. When I was trying to think in my own head before we, in my little show prep that I do, thinking of my overall feelings without getting into specifics of each franchise, that yeah, I could probably pick up any of the Friday movies with one exception, with one notable exception, (laughs) and watch it and have more fun with it than picking a random one out of either the Halloween or Nightmare series, but... I think the better movies overall are in the Nightmare and Halloween franchises. I think they have some of the greatest horror movies of all time, whereas Friday the 13th is just kind of pretty good overall with a notable dip. Yeah, exactly. Uh, No franchise is safe, for sure. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So if if we were going on average, Friday the 13th, I think, is is the series that has the best batting average Nightmare, I think, is in the middle because it it has a very high front end, but then it kind of trails off a bit, and then it dips in the remake. And then Halloween has that huge valley in the middle, (laughs) and then it comes back. So it's it's interesting. If you had like a bar chart or whatever, you would see all these weird little dips and stuff. And and sadly, but not mad about this one particular, Halloween is the one that's still active in a sense. Like all these other ones... Nightmare is probably the closest to being dead of them all right I now. I think so, yeah. And Friday could always come back at any time, but the the sequel to the remake, right? Yeah, that yeah. actually is a thing, yeah. is in development hell, and will may. I mean, I'm sure it'll get done at some point. The but for it, Friday, yeah. But by the time they put it out, they'll probably want to redo it again. I think it's going to be if <laughs> whenever something gets made because. Friday is entangled in all sorts of legal behind-the-scenes issues. I think there would have been a new movie by this point, if yeah. not for the the legal wrangling of the character and the copyrights and stuff. Because yeah. that's affecting the video games and everything else. And yeah, whenever they do make a new Friday the 13th movie, I don't think it's going to be a sequel to the remake. I think it's going to be a Halloween-style sure. reboot, a new sure. reboot. or. I, I, I guess Halloween isn't actually a reboot. It's a sequel to the yeah. original. But I don't think they're going to do all yeah. that. So and, it's, it gets complicated. Yeah. And I'd like to come full circle with that thought at the end of the show as it pertains to the Nightmare series mm-hmm. and, yeah. and where I want it to end up. Okay. It's pretty obvious where I want it to end up. But yeah. I will save that for the end of, I guess, my rankings. Let's go with that. Right. So, Chris, you brought up the fact that Freddy is the most fun. And I agree with you. And I think yes. most people out there would agree with you. I mean, yeah, everybody's got their opinion. But I think... As we talked about, and I mentioned, and I almost wanted to save it for this episode, how much of a pop culture icon Freddy is. Freddy's got the personality. Uh, He's just, you know, he was everywhere when when he was hot. Like, and he's still around. Like, there's, you know, he could still find Freddy things. Hell, I just, uh, you know, as a big rock and roll guy, I just ordered a vinyl copy of one of my all-time favorite bands, Adonis. Their album, Spend the Night, 
in the inside the gatefold of the album, mm. and when I had it on CD originally on the back of it, there is a framed poster of Freddy Krueger on their wall because they're <laughs> yeah. having a slumber party, and yeah. that totally makes sense because they're yeah. kind of retro centric. Right. So you know, I still see Freddy pop up in things, and I love that. Yeah, he still he pops up in video games every once in a while. I'll get to that in a little bit, okay. um, and just different things like that. And I th- we mentioned on one of the previous episodes where he popped up on that show, The Goldbergs, and yeah. like, he's still on people's minds and. I think that is very fitting for a dream demon who... <laughs> I was like, he can't die if yeah, people, people keep remember. remembering. <laughs> so yeah, he's he's kept his evil. So whenever that nightmare movie does come back, and whenever Robert England dons the makeup one last time, which hopefully he will to pass it on, then yeah, people are... It's, it's going to be great. They can do a super meta meta movie where, you know, just go beyond Wes Craven's new nightmare and make it like this ultimate meta thing where the real world never forgetting has brought back the series and chris i'm glad you brought that up because mm. i'll spoil one of my uh things i learned on wiki facts okay uh and i didn't seem to learn this anywhere else uh, you brought up new nightmare mm. and uh, who's conspicuous by their absence in new nightmare from the first movie johnny depp right oh yeah yeah you're probably thinking, well, Johnny wasn't in New Nightmare because he was such a big, huge, hot movie star at the time. Right. Well, come to find out, someone actually approached Johnny and asked him, hey, you know, what about that Wes Craven's New Nightmare that came out recently? Mm-hmm. What'd you think of that? And he was like, I'm surprised Wes didn't ask me because I would have done it. Wes okay. apparently never asked Johnny because he just thought he would say no because he was yeah. too big. Can you imagine? Like, that's wow. all he had to do was ask and he would have yeah. been in the damn thing. That that would have been great, yeah. He is such a big star. Like, I feel like the role would have had to have been, like, really tiny. Well, yeah, I mean, his role was tiny. And how you can't get more tiny than his role in Freddy's Dead. Yeah, it it would have to be a cameo like that of some sort. Maybe just at the funeral scene. Yeah, but how much work did Robert really do as Robert in in New Nightmare? So, you know, I I think he would have been into it. Because here's the thing, Johnny Depp, yeah, huge movie star. One of the biggest movie stars of all time. Yeah. But he doesn't seem to be into being, like, unavailable and this, like, you know, Michael Jackson-type character. Right. You know, he does the Hollywood Vampires Band. Like, he's just kind of out. He goes to clubs. Yeah. You know, he still does that. So, you know, I, I just that, that that's a big what-if yeah. on that movie. Uh, if you, know. you learn anything from it, it never hurts to ask. Yeah. And I'll get to my... can do is say no. Yeah, and I'll get to my wiki list in a little bit here. But before I do all that, Chris, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, uh, mm-hmm. one of the main ideas I wanted to come into this episode with is I actually found this thing via doing my wiki research, mm-hmm. is uh, the American Film Institute, the AFI. Mm-hmm. They have all these lists, and people know definitely for sure, like the AFI 100 list, that's the big one. Yep. And, you know, they could maybe stand to revise that again. They haven't revised it, like, in 15 years, I think. Oh, but really? <laughs> that all being said, uh, they do this list online, and... Freddy Krueger actually appears on one of the lists, no. much to my surprise, just because I didn't know that this was actually a real list. Oh, right. They have a list called the 100 Heroes and Villains list, where they separate the heroes and the villains, mm-hmm. and they make a top 100 list of the all-time characters, biggest heroes and villains okay. in cinema history. Mm-hmm. Now, I was thinking, and in my brain, I'm thinking, well, Freddy's got to be in the top 10. Yeah. Freddy was number 40. <laughs> and... Wow. All right. I'm going to complain about this, yeah. and I feel like it is definitely legitimate to complain about it. Yes, it's yeah. an opinion, but this, you know, this is AFI. It, sure. It, I say this about the Oscars. I say this about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 
you pretend like it doesn't matter, but it matters because it's yeah. legit in most people's eyes. Right. So I feel like the representation is very bad here for Freddie. Yeah, it's great to be just on the list, period. I'm sure that's what Robert would say. Yeah, it's great to be nominated, right? It, right, exactly. But number 40, man, if people want to go up and, and look up this list, I mean, there's people above him that I'm just like, ah. But, no. you know, there's people surrounding Freddie on the list, like Cagney and the Public Enemy, which Robert definitely based some Freddy Krueger off of that character. Yeah. So that's good company. But at the same time, man, I'm going to pick on a particular character. Okay. And it's not that I don't like this character. It's okay. not that I don't enjoy some of the cinematic output involving this character. But man, Hannibal Lecter is overrated. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, come on. And first of all, like, for, they always talk about it being a horror movie. They're not horror movies. They're thrillers yeah. based on thriller novels. Yeah. But this is a villain list. So, yeah, right. people in thrillers deserve to be in it. I, yeah. I totally understand that part about it. But number one. I I don't really agree with <laughs> yeah. that. I mean, like, it's Nor a great movie. Yeah. He is a great villain. But it, it just feels weird to put Hannibal Lecter on a list with... Freddy Krueger or any of these yeah. other it, it feels like, like Norman Bates Darth Vader yeah. like I get like yeah, that yeah, yeah. those are the people that you know Dracula yeah but by the way Bela Lugosi's Dracula way too low in this list but in a Freddy definitely should definitely be in the top 10 I think that's yeah. just overall cinematic film snobbery right there yeah keeping him like okay well let's put him here it's, and I don't even yeah. think Jason or Michael was even on that list. Uh, yeah, I don't agree with that. Yeah. I mean, they're so iconic. Even if, I mean, there's not a whole lot of character to Jason, yeah. but just being an iconic force of nature, I think you can't deny that he should be pretty high as far as movie villains go. Yeah. But then again, I've, I've never been into the whole serial killer worship as it is, the cult of that. You know, mm -hmm. here's the thing is, like, Hannibal Lecter oh, I mean, can yeah. exist, yeah. and people like that have existed. Yeah, like Jeffrey Dahmer is a good sure. example of that. So you, these people are real and can be real. Like the the separation of Freddy versus that kind of a person sure. is way different. And you know, it's it, it. I think it lends itself better to movies, and just yeah. I, I just it just made me upset and mad <laughs> that Freddy is number forty and yeah. Hannibal Lecter is number one. You can love Hannibal Lecter all you want, and I'm yeah. like I said, I'm cool with him, but damn if that's not overrated it yeah it is i think it's just more based on like you said the the film critic academic i'm doing finger quotes yeah, that you can't sure. see and i don't have any problem with that because i mean i like doing that stuff too and i like to dive deep into movies and look at the qualities of it but also i like schlock and yeah. i think that a lot of schlock stuff actually has a lot of great meaning to it as well yeah. and freddie is a pretty great character regardless of what types of movies he's been in at times that aren't maybe that good yeah. the character itself has a whole lot of depth and a whole lot of meaning to it and to put him that low on the list i don't know it just feels weird yeah. plus the acting has a huge factor in it and robert england just embodies the character so it should definitely be a lot higher than 40 absolutely yeah that, that's that's the main thing I wanted to say about that. I yeah. just I just think that in an overall thing, it's I guess it's just always going to be that thing. It's the stigma of horror. Yeah. It's the flashy thing, you know, because yeah. he's 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 from the MTV generation. There's yeah. there's that too, you yeah. know, like that that helped him and it hurt him as far as his stance. But at the same time, were you really going to get through the glass ceiling of, you know, being at the Oscars, you know, yeah, or right. even the Globes or the yeah. SAGs? Like it's just. 
And Al, like, especially I'd say the first movie, mm. like, first and third movie didn't get, like, some sort of, you know, coffee table nomination at the Oscars right. for effects or whatever, because they, they do those things. Sure. Man, it's just, you know, I, I just hate seeing that. And yeah. every time someone tries to start one of those kind of awards, it just doesn't work and, yeah. you know, the fix is in, you know. So right. I guess we just have to keep going, okay, well, who won the Chainsaw Award this year? You yeah, know? <laughs> pretty much. I mean, you kind of have to look outside for... It's it's one of those like you said it's one of those weird things where do you want mainstream acceptance and credibility? It's nice, but also at the same time, it's like it doesn't make stuff, a, it doesn't make it cool. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the street cred of the underdog mentality of a lot of horror, I think, is part of the draw to it. Even if horror is not really like underdog anymore, yeah. it's gigantic again, which is great. Um, you're getting all these new kind of different horror movies and. It's it's great, but it's still only certain things are getting accepted by the old guard. So it's it's just it's an interesting scenario. But, yeah, like Jordan Peele gets yeah. good praise for Get Out, right? But he doesn't get as much praise, especially at the award yep. table for us, yep. which is more horror, right? You know, exactly. So he's so got to he's got to be that Hitchcock. He's got to yeah. ride that line. It, it's pretty clear, in yeah. Like the the mentality. So. It's whatever. Like what you like. Get into what you're into, and and just go that way. So, and and fodder like the AFI heroes and villain list is great for opening discussions, if nothing else. Sure. Yeah, list. That, that's why I love lists. Yeah. Whether I love them or hate them. Yeah. There's always something to hate and love on. Yeah. Them. And like for me, even the the, the list because you did tell me about some of the people characters on the list. It feels really weird. Like you said, to mix these fantasy horror icons with gangsters there were a lot of gangsters on it and yeah and then like um glenn close and fail attraction yeah. a true life villain that can exist right. and it, has existed it feels super odd to try to make a list with that and like with chucky and stuff <laughs> like that like how do you even compare the two yeah or like like ray fines and schindler's list is yeah. there like a more despicable yeah. person like in cinematic history yeah. like not really no right. yeah. <laughs> but if i had to pick i did it did make me think a little bit if i had to pick my top villain of all time from any movie ever or a series of movies it'd probably be Darth Vader. Yeah, Darth sure. Vader is like the greatest yeah. villain ever yeah. made. It's weird like how they when the more layers they peel back on Vader yeah. uh, the more people around him are the true villains. Like yeah. we're, we're in that era yeah. now. Like we, it was so black and white yeah. when those initial movies came out and now it's kind of like okay yeah Vader still sucks but yeah. Uh, the emperor is probably worse than the right. overall grand scheme yeah. like it's a whole thing but he's a lot simpler too sure so like as far as characters go yeah. that's one of the things i like i think makes a great villain is that that fall from grace and yeah. when someone that had goodness in them is corrupted to the point that they're one of the worst beings in history which darth vader did which freddy krueger was never really good but it was all the stuff around him that contributed to his evilness. So there's there's layers in there. Some like characters like Loki, I think, is a fantastic villain yeah. because he can be good sometimes, but he's always got that underlying thing of evil. He'd be way up there in my list as well as sure. general villains. Yeah. All right, so big three, the big three are Freddy, yeah. Jason, and Michael. Right. Where do you rank them? I'm just gonna put you on the spot. Uh, as far, I mean, Freddy from an overall standpoint, yeah, yeah. and how much you like their character, you know, or just personal opinion. It's weird because you can look at it from a lot of different ways, but I think just general first pass ranking them, I would probably put Freddy at the top, number one, Michael at number two, and Jason at number three. I actually agree with that list. Yeah. And I think it's because of 
how much I know or don't know about him. Right. Um, yeah, that's true. Just, uh, yeah. I I think Michael is the scariest. Yeah, he really kind of is, yeah. isn't he? He seems like he can be killed the least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though there's, he has the most movies, right, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Freddy is the most fun and the most interesting. And mm-hmm. Jason is just, like, he's just fun. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, sure. So that's, that's kind of my, my first pass. I like ranking, it. Yeah. All right. You want to get into some of the things I learned on Wikipedia about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise that I feel like I didn't learn anywhere else, whether it was doing this episode, reading IMDb trivia, watching the excellent Never Sleep Again documentary, which I recommend, or even reading the excellent Robert England autobiography, Hollywood yes. Monster. I sound like I'm in an ad right now. You but, do, yeah. You but can, I recommend... Pay. I recommend all those things. No, I'm, I'm getting paid <laughs> not one nickel for that, but I recommend for sure, as far as like next level stuff yeah. for the Nightmare on Elm Street series, of course, Never Sleep Again, the like four and a half hour documentary or yeah. whatever it is. Uh, they don't miss anything. Everything that we covered with the exception of the remake is on there. Mm-hmm. So it's all good. And Hollywood Monster, the Robert Englund autobiography. You know, it's not Nightmare on Elm Street centric. Of course, there's a lot of nightmare talk in it. Yeah. But it's the overall career of Robert England, right. our our icon, our Freddy Krueger. It's it's great. It's it's a real easy read. I think it's like 250 pages or something. So okay. just go read it. Yeah. yeah. I came across these particular facts just on the Wikipedia page. So I figured it's a sign of the times. I've done it on every wrap up so far. So I'm just going to get into it. Sure. Some of these may garner some talk. Some of these are be just like okay. Yep. And that's fine either way. <laughs> so. I found out that all of the radio and TV broadcasts on Nightmare 1 were done by Bob Shea. Oh, I, didn't, huh? I didn't know that. So yeah. we talked about uh, the radio announcer just before Johnny Depp eats it in yeah. part one. Yeah. says, you're listening to KRGR. You know, that's yeah. Bob Shea. He's doing the television spots. Like, that's all him. So once all again, right. going into the low-budget nature of it, these yeah. are the things you want to do if you can't afford to hire that professional television broadcaster. Yeah, for sure. You know, he obviously had a good enough voice to do it. And that points to, like, he's been in most of the movies then. (laughs) We failed to mention that he was in Freddy's Dead, um, because I didn't recognize him at the time, but going back to watch clips when I was pulling audio for when I was doing the the stuff for the episode, he is the, he's like a ticket taker in like the bus ticket guy or oh. something whatever that is he's in the little booth oh my god didn't even right. recognize him but but is that real creepy him, uh, yeah real creepy but guy, seeing yeah. him again in freddy versus jason and seeing what he looked like at that time i recognized him when i went back to pull the clips yeah. so he's been in most of the movies in one way or another oh well that makes sense i can't believe i didn't see that yeah. either like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty quick too yeah. but he does have a speaking role in no, a very yeah. small one yeah. yeah you always make sure he has one yeah. <laughs> so Okay, so we all know, and we talked about this extensively in part one, especially you, Chris, those great uh, stories about the articles of the real-life guys, mostly Asian men, that influenced the story that would become Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, around the same time, Wes Craven had some inspiration from something else. It was kind of uh, a serendipitous thing, as as you said earlier, because I like that word. Mm-hmm. One of the big hit songs around that time was a song called Dreamweaver by Gary Wright. Yeah, yeah. So since I'm the music guy, I was fascinated right. by this. But apparently Wes just really liked the song while it was out. And it had a life like years yeah. after it was a hit. So it just kept coming up. And that apparently was one of those main pushes cool. that uh, you know inspired him to do this. Yeah. And if you actually, like, next time you hear that song, just think about Freddy, and you'll get, like, a little extra layer to it. I That's think cool. I think that actually happens in there. 
And, you know, very possibly he may have even tried to get the rights of the song at some point to use, but he didn't. <laughs> uh, if Rob Zombie were to remake Nightmare on Elm Street, the entire first scene would be set to Dreamweaver. Oh, be for playing sure. <laughs> for like 10 minutes. Yeah. And then they would get like a new cover version of yeah, it at the end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with like one teenage girl with a guitar singing it yeah. very, very slowly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thankfully not a ukulele because that's not how <laughs> Rob rolls. And that's a little bit what I like about yeah. it. Uh, so, yeah, John Marshall High School. John Marshall High School in California is like the movie high school. Just so you know, no exception in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise when you see shots of a school, especially in the first movie, I think exclusively. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's in any of the other ones. That, that mm-hmm. I don't know. But that is the school that is used for part one as far as like the out shots okay. and stuff like that. I was like going to say exteriors. The the basement though the boiler room mm. that's like a prison. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, so just so you know that's where yeah. that is, uh, and they didn't use that same place for the jail cell in uh, part one. Mm-hmm. They used the library. So, for the jail? Yeah. Huh. All right. Or at least some of the shots inside of okay. it. Okay. You wonder those are big desks, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these are the things that I found at least. Once again, I'll just use the whole like you know. Just because it's on Wikipedia doesn't mean it may not be <laughs> yeah. true, but who knows? They mostly have sources on those. So. But John Marshall High, it's in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Mm. It's in Greece. They even use the um, the track and field area for the carnival in Greece. I mean, like okay. so John Marshall High is yeah. like Hollywood High. So, school, yeah, right? it's one of them. Skipping ahead here, James Cameron had a little bit of a role in Part Four, not in the actual movie, mm. but as far as the inspiration. And here's the thing. I've never heard one way or another, but James Cameron supposedly walks up to Rennie Harlan mm-hmm. and they introduce themselves to each other and it gets to like, well, what are you working on? What are you working on? And when James asks Rennie what he's doing, he goes, well, I'm doing the next Freddy Krueger movie in Iron Man Street 4. And he goes, mm-hmm. oh, how does Freddy come back to life this time? Mm-hmm. Like kind of cynically. Yeah. And Rennie answers, uh, a dog piece fire. <laughs> and... I've never heard it, like, really gone into detail after that. So I don't know if that happened out of a joke. Right. Or it was already in the script when he did it. But apparently <laughs> he said it so quickly, I don't, know, I don't know. But, like, that just... I feel like it just came out of Rennie Harlan's brain when he said it, he put it in the movie. Because talking about, when we talked about that episode, how they didn't have a script, pretty much, for most of the movie, I feel like most of the stuff they put in just came out of Rennie Harlan's brain at the time. Yeah. Something about New Nightmare. Angelo Badalamenti, mm-hmm. who is a name most people probably won't know, but I'm a music nerd. The iconic score that you've always heard in Twin Peaks, anything Twin Peaks, is that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually scored New Nightmare. Okay. I, I, I didn't even, I didn't cool. even didn't notice his name it. in the credits yeah. or anything. Just, it just totally went by me, yeah. but it got to me when I was doing the wiki research, so I wanted to bring that up and not let it go. Uh, here's something that uh, I was not aware of at all. There And we talked about this kind of thing on the other franchise wrap-ups. There was a novelization of part one, two, and three combined in one book, in huh. one paperback for Nightmare on Elm Street. And here's the kicker. It came out prior to Dream Warriors part three coming out. So apparently the original ideas and mm-hmm. a lot of the original script wound up in that novelization. So if you want to see the alternate universe yeah. version in your head... Of Dream Warriors, go find... It's out of print, of course. Like, yeah. I saw a paperback on Amazon as of this recording for, like, 60 bucks. 
But he you know, keep, keep, yeah, exactly. Keep an eye. Yeah, he was dreaming. <laughs> keep an eye out at your yard sales yeah. and the places that don't. The you know, I don't know what secondhand bookstores aren't online at this point, right. but maybe you'll get lucky. Look out for the novelization of part one, two, and three, and it says it on the cover. Part one, actually, two, and three. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's interesting. It's got a really cool dark Freddy glove on the cover, yeah. black, and like hmm. someone even said it was almost written for kids, like as far as the way it's written. I don't know know about that. I I was just reading reviews, but yeah. yeah, So for true hardcore fans want to find out where Dream Warriors uh, was going, it's in that book. I guess, yeah, because a lot of stuff like that does come out. If it comes out coinciding with whatever movie or whatever is released, they do kind of base it off of early versions of scripts. So it makes sense. But to combine... To put two in there with it, yeah. that's interesting. I'd be interesting yeah. to this, to read yeah. how that, that turned out. And maybe that's different too. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. Maybe, they, maybe they went with the baby they, idea. They would had <laughs> right. They would have had to have kind of modified it a bit to make it work with the other ones. Here's the last one. Something that hasn't really happened yet, but uh, Josh Boone is a guy who's in the movie business right now. He's involved with the project New Mutants. Oh, which okay, yeah, yeah. I know you're excited about yeah. for whenever it comes out. <laughs> it's been delayed what? Four times over two years? Well, guess what his inspiration for New Mutants... Guess where it came from, Chris? I guess one of the Nightmare movies? Specifically Dream Three. Warriors. Yeah, one of his favorite movies. That makes movies. sense, yeah. Because all the, the New Mutants are... There's even a, a group session in the trailer for the movie. Yeah. yeah, okay. He goes on record saying biggest inspiration for this that was makes total sense. Dream Warriors. Yeah. So, wow. right on. I'm maybe, more for it now. Maybe, just maybe, that can be the movie we talked about like if they're gonna remake if let's say this thing turns out good we really love new mutants and he becomes like Mm -hmm. the guy maybe he can do a really good proper remake of dream warriors and and it could be accepted yeah as loved as that movie is yeah maybe in the right hands and with the right star it would be interesting to remake a specific sequel out of a franchise and like just on its own yeah that would be interesting yeah, I think I know which ones of all those franchises we'd like to see, too, if done right, once yeah. again. Okay, so the last thing here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send it over to you here, Chris. Okay. The video game tie-ins. I was, oh, not, yeah. I was only aware of the Nintendo Entertainment System's version yeah. of Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. I guess, it, was it just called Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah, it was just okay. Nightmare on Elm Street. But apparently Commodore 64 had one, yeah. and you said there was another uh, system that had a Nightmare on Elm Street video game. I was unaware yeah. of any of this, so let's talk about the video game history of Freddy Krueger for a little bit. There's a few. Uh, we can kind of go in order, because I did look up not just Nightmare on Elm Street games, but stuff inspired by or including the character Freddy Krueger. Because he's popped up a few times. But as far as the original main franchise goes... There's only really two games officially. Uh, the NES game, and then the one you mentioned, the Commodore 64. It was on the 64 and DOS for PCs. So mm-hmm. it was the same game on both systems, because the Commodore 64 was like basically a, gotcha. a, a computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Like a smaller computer. I had an Atari version of that. Yeah. So, like, not an actual Atari, but It was Atari like a little computer, computer thing yeah, with yeah. a keyboard and everything. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was yeah. similar to that, yeah. yeah. Oh, the six, Commodore 64 was... But yeah, I've been playing, I, I played the Nightmare on Elm Street NES game as a kid. Both of the different games, the one that was on the Dawson 64, which is the same game, and the NES game, came out in 1989, which was the biggest movie at the time, was the Dream Warriors. They had moved on by then, but of course, games take a long time to make. Oh, okay. So, 
the one that was on Dawson Commodore 64 is actually based on the Dream Warriors. Oh, cool. You have Nancy, Kristen, Joey, Kincaid, Taryn, and Will huh. as characters, although Joey is immediately taken, so you can pick any of the other characters to... Basically, it's a top-down game where you have to find Freddy's house while Freddy's chasing you through the streets, and then you enter the houses, and they're like mazes, and you have to find your friends, and you bring all your friends together, and you fight Freddy in the end. Cool. Um, I've never played it. I've watched a little... There's a lot of gameplay on YouTube that you can find. It looks okay. It's it's just kind of like a basic generic top-down thing. Gotcha. I'm a lot more familiar with the NES game, which, like I said, came out in 1989. I mentioned it earlier. I think the cover... Uh, or the main screen is an image of Freddy from Part 2, where he has his hands spread out like you're all my children now. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Pretty sure that's it, because he's got the meat glove, or the meat okay. hand with the <laughs> with the uh, knives. Bet better or worse than the Friday video game? <laughs> I, oh, the, the Nightmare one, I do enjoy more. Okay. The Friday the 13th game, I've never liked it. I own it as well. Sure. Um, but even as a, as a kid, I just got frustrated. I barely yeah. played it. It's a really hard game to play. It's confusing because you don't know where to go, and then you have little kids, the kid counter, that it starts beeping at you when Jason's at one of the cabins, and then you have to run. You you look at the map, but you don't know how to get there because you don't know which way to go. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) So it's frustrating. The Nightmare game is pretty fun. It's not too hard. It's actually pretty easy once you figure out how to do it. Um, but basically, it's a side-scroller where you go into these houses, you're collecting the bones of Freddy Krueger to bury him, and it's kind of like... Sounds like Castlevania 2. It, it is. It's actually a lot like Castlevania 2. Did Konami 2. do it too? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. I think it was probably LJN or something. Oh, like that. okay, that makes sense. Because they did a lot of those. Yeah, they did a lot of licensed stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, but you're collecting the bones, and you can play with four players at the same time. Wow. It was one of the few games, one of the first games, I think. Think they use that the Nintendo oh, Four Score. I adapter. never had four people playing at once. So. I never did either. I was lucky to have two. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, basically, like in Castlevania Two, you can go into a different mode. Which in Castlevania it's nighttime, but in this one it's the Dream World, yeah. where basically the screen it stops and the villains get harder. But you have to because you get the Dream Powers, a la Three, to fight Freddy. And yeah, it's it's pretty fun. It's not great, but it's Definitely just kind of a cash-in on the popularity right sure. at the time. Yeah, and every video game is like that. That's why most video games, based on movies and whatever, was terrible for the longest time. Yeah. Now you can make them good, but back then they were just rushed out. Yeah, and yeah. it almost barely feels like a Nightmare on Elm Street thing game until you're actually fighting Freddy. Yeah. Because you're I've fighting, watched it on YouTube. It you're looks fighting weird. snakes and yeah. bats and ghosts yeah. and things. Which aren't in the movie yeah, at all. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so weird. But... It's like they gave it to somebody who'd never seen a stitch yeah. of any of the movies. Yeah. They just had a picture of Freddy. Yeah, but then you do eventually go to the junkyard at one point, a lot three. Oh. So it's sort of based on Dream Warriors in oh. ways, but none of the kids none of the, from the movie are in it. Gotcha. But that's really the only... Those two games are really the only appearances of the original Freddy Krueger. Um, once the remake came out, there were a few games that, that Freddy was in, although there hasn't actually been a full-on Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yeah. Wasn't he like a was he a Mortal Kombat character? Yeah, he was in Mortal Kombat 9. And because they started putting in, I know, Leatherface and uh, Ash, I think, yeah. and just some horror villains. Uh, sure. Pinhead, I think, was in one of them. Okay. Or I don't know which ones. I don't really play the Mortal yeah, Kombat yeah, games. Yeah. I don't like them any. I never really got into fighting yeah. games so much. Yeah. 
but he was in the ninth one and he was in the mobile version of the tenth one. <laughs> so yeah, that's weird. There was a tie-in game for the remake in 2010, which was a browser-only, like, full-motion video game where you had to keep this young woman awake so she wouldn't get killed by Freddy. Oh, my gosh. I was searching for it to try to see if I could play it, but it sounds really kind of creepy and not good because the write-up was saying that you have to keep this girl awake, and I saw a screenshot of, like, a girl in her pajamas sitting on the edge of her bed looking worried. Sure. You can... Because it said you can give her pills and make her drink coffee and mm. cut her and burn her. Ah. It's like, I don't think well, that's a good idea. That's the darkest gigapet I've ever yeah. heard in my life. So I haven't been able to find anywhere to play it, which I don't know, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, don't bother. The There Ugh. was an unofficial uh, game that Freddy did appear in, uh, Terror Drome, which is a fighting game with mm. horror movie characters. Mm. It has like Leatherface, Chucky, sure. Pinhead, Freddy, of course. It's... I imagine Chucky being like Yoda, like just right. jumping around and kind shit. Of is. <laughs> I remember seeing this years ago. It, yeah. it, it originally came out years and years ago. Is it one of those ones that like they skipped all the licensing and just put yeah. it out for free? It's it's a fan made game, okay. and it's obviously because you'd never be able to get all these yeah. characters into one game. Sure, yeah. But because uh, I remember when it was real rudimentary and basic, and it's apparently they've been continuing to work on it over the years. So check out Terror Dome if you like that kind of thing. And then the latest game that Freddy was in was uh, Dead by Daylight, which is a online only... Not, not, not an Evil Dead sequel. <laughs> no, although I think Ash is in it, because they started to put in some movie characters, and Freddy, the remake version of Freddy, all of these, except for Terradrome, they're all the remake version. The remake version is the one that's in the Mortal Kombat games. Gotcha. So, yeah, and he was in Dead by Daylight, which is like a survival like a squad based survival game it doesn't look like anything i'd be interested in because oh, okay. it's like online only oh okay yeah, well, it's, i don't i don't like playing with people online yeah so, no yeah. they, they kind of continue those worse. are the games yeah if you can find the nes game it's it's pretty fun it's it's a neat little piece of history even though it's not the best yeah. game ever all right chris before i want to get to the box office if that's mm-hmm. cool yeah. uh before that i do i didn't want to start off with this because i didn't want to be like for anybody listening for the very first time like oh joey's an idiot <laughs> i do have a correction to make okay for those of you who care and heard me say this on the episode i'm going to say this for sure i swear on my stack of horror movies here and my freddy figure that's right here beside like a like a mascot that yes. i had for today that i knew this but i said it wrong okay so I'm just going to just make this clarification here. I had said that Sue Garcia was driven to his audition for Nightmare 1, the guy that played Rod. I said that he was driven to his audition by Robert Downey because they were friends. Mm. Not the case. I don't know if they know each other, but what I do know is that Robert Ressler and Robert Downey know each other. And I knew that. I just said the wrong name. I think I said the wrong character name or something. So I screwed up there. I just wanted to correct that. Because, of course, Robert Russler and Robert Downey were in... They played Best Friends in one of my favorite movies of all time, Weird Science. Mm-hmm. That's how that all happened. So, there you go. Robert Downey drove Robert Russler to his audition for part two. There you go. Correction you. there. And a little clarification on your correction. Just want to say, we have talked about the character of Rod before and the actor who played him. Because he was in The New Nightmare. Yep. And, as we mentioned, he was credited in the original... Nightmare on Elm Street as Nick Corey. His real name is Jesus Garcia. He goes by Sue Garcia. So that's why if people are that nitpicky and they caught on the <laughs> wow. correction that needed to be made. I almost had to clarify then, my clarifying. Yeah, yeah. So just want to 
Put it all out there. So, so although comments are good, like we don't necessarily <laughs> yeah. want comments about, hey, you you yeah. messed this up. So yeah, yeah. I, and I, I try, is Nick Corey. Yeah, I try to respect the decision that is made by the actor. Yeah, I'm having a hard time still with most deaf. I still don't know what his new name is, <laughs> right. but I, I, I got to get into that. I, yeah. I'm just bad about it. Right, it's because you know that's what we knew. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's get to the box office. Then we'll get to all the other fun lists as well. So let's start off with, I guess I call this the people vote, in a sense. Uh, as far as, like, it's not as hardcore as the IMDb vote. Yeah. Because those are, like, people that care enough to register, log in, and read, yeah. uh, write a review, stuff like that. Right. These are the people that just went out and paid their hard-earned money right. to be entertained. So yes. this is that kind of a rating. Mm-hmm. So this box office is strictly domestic. Once again, not international. According to all the big uh, to-dos, box office, mojo, and whatnot. This is where I get my stats from. Mm-hmm. So here is how the franchise ranks as far as the box office goes. Number nine at the very bottom with $18.1 million. Any guesses? I'm going to say part two. Nope. New Nightmare. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I guess because so, it was so different. Yeah. And, it, you know, Freddie had already been killed, so people were cynical about it. Yeah. So I think that's where that it makes happened. sense. And, you know, it was just cinema was becoming something different. And even though it tried to do that, yeah. people didn't understand that that's what the movie was going to be right. like. You know, I don't know if it would have helped or hurt it knowing that. But, yeah. And that was before Scream, where yeah. people were accepting of this newness that yeah. I think New Nightmare led into. Mm-hmm. All right. So number eight with 22.2 million. Part five. Okay, I figured that that one would rank somewhere around there. Yeah. Number seven with twenty five point five. Part one. <laughs> I'm not surprised, but I mean, hell, it came for out a so debut much, movie, yeah, that's really good for a debut movie in 1984. Yeah, I was gonna say it's so much earlier than that because I mean these are unadjusted dollars, so yeah, exactly. you're gonna have big expansions just because dollars are, are worth. Yeah. More or less, or whatever. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. So number six, yeah. part two. Okay. With yeah. thirty million dollars. Number five, with thirty-four point nine million, and I round these up pretty much or mm-hmm. down depending on where you go. Number five is Freddy's Dead. Uh, so sense. even you know, that's a pretty respectable number, but all the hype they gave it and everything like it didn't get to that upper echelon of what they had done before. Yeah. But it still beat the one that came before it. So yeah. they did something a little yeah. bit, right? Yeah. It, it, that That's to be, that, that's definitely a good point. It made like almost $13 million more than part yeah. five. So that's good. Yeah. That's a success in that sense. Number four, part three, dream warriors with 44.8 million. Mm. That's a pretty big jump from the one we just had exactly $10 million more. Number three, Part four, the Dream Master, with forty nine point four million dollars. I mean, the, the height of yeah. Freddy's uh, Q rating, as you want to say. Yeah, I guess, I guess it's weird to me that Part four beats Part three because they came out came out so close together. But I think the good buzz from Part three led to more people going to see Part four, yeah. even if it wasn't as good of a movie. Yeah, and obviously the opening weekend was awesome because yeah. Rennie Harlan tells that story. Yeah. How Bob Shea started driving around to the different theaters, yeah. and now he became his best friend all of a sudden. Immediately when he saw yeah. it. Yeah. Kind of hated him initially. Yeah. <laughs> Number two, the remake from 2010 with $63 million. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, that makes sense. 
just because of the time. And things are so weird nowadays. Like, there's such a high demand for what your box office is, yeah. more so than ever, I think. Yeah. That that almost seems like it might be a disappointing number. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. The fact that it didn't make a hundred million dollars, it kind of yeah. But it's a horror movie. Yeah. So the, I think they're held to the lower standards yeah. for the most part. I think Scream was the first horror movie to make a hundred mil. If was I'm it? not mistaken. I I, I want to say that's right, but maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, but we'll save that for another time. <laughs> Stay um, tuned for another correction by Joey. Yeah, exactly. And of course, number one, the event. Yeah. Freddy versus Jason. 82.6 million. Wow. So that, uh, so the last place got 18.1. Number one got 82.6. Freddy versus Jason's domestic take. And the international take was crazy on that, too. I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's number one at the box office. Cool. I think that's pretty much been the number one. That was the number one we did the Jason so, one, yeah. also. It yeah. would have to be. Didn't the Halloween, the newest Halloween, beat it? Or did it? I, I think remember. it did. Yeah. I think the new Halloween like was over a hundred million yeah. for sure. Which like, which makes sense. I mean, it was yeah. a, it was like nearly two decades later. Yeah. So and it deserved to be. It's, it's still one of my yeah. like go. That is now one of my current go to horror movies for nice. sure. Nice. Okay, so now it's time for my favorite part of these wrap ups that we've done. The three that we've done as of right now. Mm-hmm. I know this is always my favorite part. So this is the part where Chris takes over, and he conceptualizes. He he pitches an entirely new movie that's not a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but he's only using cast members from the franchise. And uh, I just want to... I can't wait to hear what you came up with, so Chris, take it away. Okay, so I had inspiration, and I went a little bit of a different route this time. So usually I take what? I think the initial thing was take four actors or whatever and and just make a new movie based on it. With this one, with the dissatisfaction that I felt for some of the later movies in the franchises, specifically the remake and Freddy's Dead and how all that stuff just didn't make sense to me and I didn't like it and I wanted it to go a different route. I went a little different route myself. This time, this is a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. What? I am doing the Halloween soft reboot version of making a a new sequel to the franchise oh are you gonna do the thing where it's the sequel to the very first one it is not that oh oh it is not that i am doing a sequel to everything except for new nightmare and the reboot huh everything else is incorporated within this movie wow and what i'm doing is i'm bringing back every single survivor that is still with us on planet earth and they are going to be in this movie in some form or another. Okay, so you got to recap it so I yes. know for sure who's in this. And I actually kind of wrote a treatment for it. Wow. So strap in for a bit, and I will go through this. I'm leaning back right now. <laughs> right. So uh, I will get to the cast as I go along with with what the movie is. This isn't fully fleshed out. This is just kind of the main kind of thrust of the movie. But basically... There are going to be two stars of the movie, two protagonists, and it's going to be kind of a... It's still going to be very much a nightmare movie, very much a horror movie, but it's also going to be kind of like a whodunit kind of movie at the same time. Mm. So, the main two people are going to be Jacob, Alice's son Jacob, who was the dream child, and Maggie, Lisa Zane's character from Freddy's Dead. Okay. They are both in different places in their lives, and the main thrust of the movie is that people start dying. Survivors from previous movies start dying. 
and we don't know which one of these two people are doing it. We think that one of them is doing it, but we don't know which one. And we're kind of following both of their journeys as they try to figure it out themselves, and they kind of cross paths at certain points. So let me read what I what I what I made for you. All right. So the movie starts out with Jacob attending the funeral of his grandfather, along with his mother Alice and her friend Devon. They've all kind of stayed together. Uh, the grandfather passed away peacefully in his sleep, but Jacob is starting to have nightmares. We're not sure if this means that the death of his grandfather is affecting him in certain ways, or if something else is affecting him from his past, and maybe the little stuff from when he was a fetus and Freddy tried to get him in his mother's womb. Sure. Maybe that's coming back up. We don't really know. Alice, his mother, opens up to Jacob about everything that happened when he was being born and all of that. She I was say, instead of like waiting till like yeah, the last act. <laughs> she knows she's going to be a good parent. Most of the parents in the entire franchise have been terrible, but Alice is different because she's been through it yeah, and she knows. Yeah. She's trying to do that to reassure Jacob that Freddy is really gone, but really all it does is kind of open up this Pandora's box for Jacob um, he does research because Alice is under the impression that when she beat Freddy in part five, that she beat Freddy. Yeah. But Jacob does research. He gets on the internet, whatnot, and he realizes that Freddy has actually appeared in different places beyond where uh, Alice told him that he was apparently killed. So that opens up. He's like, you didn't kill him, mom. And so he goes off in search of answers. Mm. Meanwhile... Maggie is having trouble in her life. Her dual life as Maggie, who she grew up as, and her other life as Catherine Kruger is kind of manifested into this, like, split personality situation. Huh. And she's she hasn't been very good since we've last seen her. So she begins to think her battle with Freddy in Freddy's Dead, she's going over it in her mind. And I had questions about it, too. So she's having questions about it. She thinks, she's convinced herself at this point that that was all a dream. She didn't actually kill Freddy in that moment. We don't know if she did or not, but she's almost convinced that she didn't. So she's kind of isolated herself, knowing that she has the bloodline. She's isolated herself from all of her friends and family, and she's not in a good way right now. So, back over to Jacob and that situation. So Yvonne, the other survivor from Part 5, the nurse yeah. friend of yeah. Alice... She ends up dying, but it's unclear how she died. Jacob blames himself. He thinks he did it because it's a violent death. It's it's not pleasant. So there's all these dream sequences where we see a character with the glove, but we don't ever get a full, clear view of their face or anything like that. Gotcha. And you only hear, like, laughs and, like, things like that and screeches. It's like, similar to the opening scene in the very first movie. Yes. Okay. So it's very much echoing the dark, shadowy version of Freddy, although you see even less of the face. Sure. You see maybe some, like, hints and things like that, but you can never... So you see Freddy, but you don't see Freddy. Gotcha. I like that. Uh, Jacob blames himself for the death of Yvonne, even though he's not sure if he did it or not, because he's having all these weird dreams. Yeah. He thinks that Freddy is coming back to try to possess him. So, meanwhile, Maggie sees her grandmother, Sister Mary Helena, who is, wow. of course, Amazing. Freddy's, yeah. And this vision that Maggie has sends, points her towards Alice. So we don't know exactly why, because she doesn't say a whole lot, but it points her to Alice. Huh. And whenever Jacob leaves to go find something, which I'll get to in a second, Maggie is on her way. Maggie shows up, and Alice is already dead. But it's unclear whether she 
was dead before Jacob left or when Maggie arrived because of her split personality and she has no sense of reality. So we don't know who did it. So Jacob has gone off to find Jesse because he finds a journal and he realizes that Jesse, that Freddie tried to possess Jesse at one point as well. Jacob ends up finding Lisa and Lisa knows where Jesse is, but Jesse at this time kind of emulating the real life of Mark Patton at the time, he has gone away and he has distanced himself to try to recover from all of the trauma. Uh, Lisa knows where he is. She does lead Jacob to Jesse and Jesse gives Jacob advice about accepting yourself, being stronger, believing in yourself and knowing that you're okay. And so it's, it's very much going to be a parallel to his real life journey, I think. I like that. So in a very meta sense. And he gets the good one man speech. Yeah, exactly. He he's the Obi Wan of this movie very much. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's he's the magical like wizard that gives all the great advice. Okay. So Jacob at this time while he's off finding Jesse, Jacob has a dream about his mother, and we realize that this is Alice passing off her dream powers to Jacob at this time, which also means that Jacob knows that something's wrong. So Jacob runs... Speaking our, of Obi-Wan. <laughs> yeah. So Jacob goes back home and finds his mother dead. And police have found this woman. However, I haven't worked out the specifics, but he realizes it's Maggie. So he now has to go after Maggie because okay. he wants answers. Okay. So meanwhile, Maggie is already gone. She goes to Tracy for help. Tracy was the one in Freddy's Dead, the uh, domestic abuse survivor um, that she was hanging out and watching Maggie, like, beat up Freddy. Yeah, yeah. Tracy has opened up this, like, basically a uh, shelter for domestic abuse survivors. Okay. I was going to be that or a dojo. I yeah, didn't. <laughs> right. Yeah, she, she, she has the martial arts stuff, too. Yeah. Maggie goes to Tracy for help because Maggie believes that she's doing these things and she needs help to overcome it. Tracy takes Maggie to Dr. Neil Gordon from Part 3, who is now working with Doc from part five and Max who has gotten into social services oh. who is Lawrence Fishburne's character okay. from part three. Nice. They're all working together because they all have had this experience of losing kids to this dream demon. They're all in like this social services thing together. Oh, nice. And Max is actually the guy that's kind of running it. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Uh, so basically it's getting back all of these other characters. Maggie learns about Lori and Will from Freddy versus Jason because they have been hiding away from all of this, yeah. but we realize that this is all together. And the fact that Lori and Will had to fight Freddy means that Maggie knows that she did not kill Freddy during Freddy's dead. So that kind of breaks her down. That's that oh. moment of, like, everything is shattered. Her bad personality is pushing itself forward. Uh, Jacob is not far behind because he's on Maggie's trail. In this, this is kind of towards the end of the movie where... Whenever Jacob is getting closer to Maggie, we see that, I'm not sure who, but between Tracy, Max, Dr. Gordon, and Doc, some of them are going to die at this time as well. Gotcha. And all of this leads up to the big climactic battle between Jacob and Maggie. Uh, Lori and Will are actually kind of pushing them to fight, a la Freddy versus Jason, but that does not end up well for them. They both end up getting killed during this sequence. Yeah. But this big final battle where no one really knows who is to blame for the deaths at this point, the audience nor the people in there. They're both blaming themselves, but they're both blaming each other at the same time. But this dreamscape that they're in actually turns into this hellscape where we learn that Freddy Krueger 
has been reigning in hell for like two decades, and he has decided to not try to get into the real world. He's overtaken the dream worm things, and he has actually killed them, and we get these really neat comedy bits where he's using them as like bait for like fishing in a sea of fire, and he's like carving them up for turkey and like eating them and stuff. <laughs> He's overtaken that role, and we get the cool uh, demon red Freddy face from Freddy vs. Jason. Nice. And he's been maneuvering all of these people, all the survivors. He's been putting them in place for this very moment. Wow. That's why Doc and Gordon and Tracy, and they were all together. That's why. Because Freddy was doing that. Wow. Wow. And so, since Freddy has replaced the Dreamworms, we uh, realize that Freddy has orchestrated this battle between the two. The two fight. Jacob and Maggie fight. And Maggie calls on Sister Mary Helena for help during the battle. Um, But at this point, we realize that it might not actually be Sister Mary Helena. We see that during all of these deaths throughout the movie, Sister Mary Helena and Freddy within the dream worlds are actually Maggie's two personalities personified within the dream reality. Wow. And this whole sequence leads up to Jacob realizing that Alice was trying to help him. Jesse was trying to help him. And he is the last hope. And he has to fight basically everything within Maggie. And Jacob does end up fighting Maggie off. Actually, she is now Kathy Krueger at this point. She has completely embodied the spirit of Freddy Krueger because Sister Mary Helena is dead. She's gone. Jacob fights her off. But is Kathy really gone? Can she ever really be gone? Mm. So basically, the movie ends with Jacob sort of victorious, although everyone he knows is dead. Pretty much every survivor from every movie is gone at this point. But Jacob lives, and Kathy is still out there. Kathy goes on to take the franchise into the next decade as the new Dream Demon. That's my movie. Wow, man. I'm not just saying that. I'd, I'd watch the shit out of that movie. I mean, that's... That's good stuff right there. So now nobody can steal it because we've got it right here on audio. Right. We've got it time-coded and everything. Right. So, And maybe, just maybe, this movie will happen. I, I would love that. That's And I like how, like, it's not just the callbacks to the other movies. Yeah. It's callbacks to other franchises that may have gotten it wrong. Right. You know, like how Friday tried to expand and how Halloween tried to expand with without their killer. But they, you do the thing that they didn't do. They didn't keep the original thought and spirit and integrity of that old character. Right. Because at no point was the baton really passed. And this one, the baton is massively passed. Yeah. That's real good. It's just shifting roles. Yeah. Freddy is now the... He's not Worm, but he's taking that spot. Sure. And Kathy Krueger is the new yeah. Dream Demon. But she has her own personality. She's not trying to be Freddy. Yeah. She's not pl- trying to replace Freddy. Yeah. She has her own thing. So. Yeah. When you pitch that, just be like, it's going to be like Rise of Skywalker... Meets insomnia. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you got to go art a little bit. A little yeah, bit that's, box office. that's definitely not the elevator pitch. That's the, yeah. the treatment that I'll, yeah. that I'll send in. Yeah. I like that. Oh, wow. Dad, should have saved that for last. <laughs> <laughs> that was real good, man. Thanks. I don't really know where to go from there, besides just keep congratulating you on <laughs> some amazing creativity there. Uh, Still so, working out details, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's the main gist of it. All right, so I feel like I need to get out of here quick, so let's just wrap this up, and let's do our rankings of the entire series like we do every time. Will there be surprises this time? We have had the same number one, I think, 
two franchises in a row. Yeah, so let's... I think it's easy to. Well, maybe not this time, let's but see. yeah. All right, so I'm gonna go with it right here. Okay. This is Joey's personal list of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise officially as of today. I don't really see it shifting all that much. I could see it shifting maybe a couple of places, but the the, the bottom half, not so much. Yeah. All right. Number nine, of course, the remake. Yeah. 2010. Not surprised. Number eight, part five, the dream child. Okay. Yeah, I know you were real down on that one. Yeah. Number seven, not that I don't love talking about it, not that I don't have favorite parts from it. But part two is my number seven. Mm. Number six, Freddy's Dead. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So, number five, New Nightmare. Number four, Freddy vs. Jason. Number three, part four. You were really high on that one, too, so I'm not surprised by yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Number two, and I don't want to cop out and say this is a tie for first, mm -hmm. but as of right now, mm -hmm. as of this watch-through... And kind of based on the ending. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go, my number two is part one, meaning my number one is part three, Dream Warriors. Wow, all right. I can't say I am flabbergasted by by that, because I know, I mean, I'm a big fan of part three as well. We'll see if it lands on number one on my list, which, I don't know, we'll see. But it's, yeah, it, yeah, it, that's not so dissimilar from mine, and I think... In all of these episodes that we've been talking about, I could kind of see where... I know you're real down on Part 5, Dream Child, so yeah. I'm not surprised that was low. Yeah. And I'm not surprised Rainy Harlan's movie was, was higher. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And there's some people that would completely disagree with those positionings and would probably flip them. But yeah. that's just, I think it's fair. That's just my opinion. And uh, I, I am at peace with it. <laughs> and so, Chris, I am excited to hear your list. Before I get to my list, okay. I know we're, we're getting close to wrapping up. I do want to do one, do one more thing. Okay. Before we get out, it's just it's a little bit of a more tease for, for my list, I guess. But I do want to talk about some of the overall themes of the series. Oh, I like okay. to get into my uh, movie snob mode a little bit here and there. And there's there's not a whole lot to talk about. Because I, I try to get an overall kind of gist of these series as, as we've done them. And we talk about it as we go individually for each, episode, for each movie. But I think... More than anything, looking at the three main franchises that we've done, they all kind of have different themes and meanings as far as like the overall arc of the entire the series as a whole, without looking at it too in detail. Uh, for me, the Nightmare on Elm Street series has kind of one of the most uh, universal themes overall. It's the cycle of violence. I think is the the main gist, one of the main gist of the Nightmare on Elm Street series, which is, it's ever-present everywhere. I mean, you can see yeah. it everywhere in, in real life. Um, because if you look at, we've talked about individual individual ones, but the cycle of violence goes from the parents to the kids. I mean, clearly looking at what the parents did and the evils, the sins of the father are visited on the sins of the son or however that phrase goes. But you also see it within the specific movies, like Freddy's Dead. You see that Freddy's dad was violent towards him, which caused Freddy to be violent towards his wife, which caused Maggie to to have questions about herself and everything. But also, you can see the opposite in things like when Alice's dad got good and yeah. he stopped being a huge jerk. Yeah. Alice was one of the only people who survived the entire series and never got killed yeah. until my movie. But, um, <laughs> like, you can see it pretty clearly, even in the movies where I don't think Part 5 really had a ton of meaning to it. I think it was just a sequel to be a sequel to have some fun stuff. Yeah. But when you look at it in the overall, like, 
arc of the series, you can see that, yeah, her dad was good. She lived. That's I don't think that's something that, that should go unnoticed. Sure. I like that. Uh, and, and all the three of these franchises represent youth culture. Yeah. That's the other thing about it. It's yeah. just, it's a sign of, and that's that's a that's the thing that was going on in America. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm not even old enough to remember this because this happened before my time, but I've right. read up on it a lot and I've heard it from people that lived during this time. People that were born in the 50s mm-hmm. grew up not being advertised to. Yeah. Like, more often than not, it was geared towards adults and older adults. Yeah. There was never a marketing demographic thought about for youth. Yeah. You know, they had beer and cigarette commercials on television <laughs> right. until finally parents said, stop showing that shit to my kids. Right. Uh, so, and then they started advertising soda pops more. Right. And things like that. And, and having kids in the ads and things like that. Yeah. So these three franchises represent the birth of youth culture and overall yeah. pop culture when it was a thing that they weren't being marketed to before. Yeah. And even though these are all rated R movies, it's of still, course they appeal to young I mean, people. it's MTV generation yeah. And, yeah. and stuff like that. It's definitely, horror has always kind of been for, not always, but for the most part, the pop horror has been for younger audiences yeah. disposable income and it's easier to to like the exploitation movies of like the 50s 60s 70s yeah. or whatever they it's just it's easy to push stuff out but by this point by the time you got to halloween and friday and then nightmare these exploitation finger quote style movies where it was like the schlock and the dreck and whatever yeah. it actually started to have more meaning because when you look into them you're getting these fantastic directors and auteurs of John yeah. Carpenter and Wes yeah. Craven and I, I didn't include Sean S. Cunningham because that was a cash-in sure. he's, no, he's not yeah. bad no he's a P.T. Barnum yeah like he's yeah. you know and, and he would tell you that too yeah. yeah but when you launch these series with people like that who infuse all of this meaning into these things that they grew up on that stuff that was the exploitation that was just visceral thrills and you get the same thing but with meaning behind it and yeah yeah, it's it's for the kids finger quotes kids and if you yeah going deeper into those series like that's why i always really like that documentary nightmares in red white and blue it talks about how events in the world in america parallel american cinema and horror oh absolutely i've done multiple projects and presentations and stuff on that because yeah Yeah. it's it's a very clear parallel and if you don't see that then you don't really understand horror so much, I don't think. And we've talked about it on all of these, like the John Carpenter, the thing, everything. So it's, yeah, it's just interesting. And when you look at Carpenter and Craven and how the cycle of cinematic violence and how they did these very violent movies and then it worked its way into this pop culture stuff, it's that cycle that comes through and it's revisited. And then you look at the... Like the early two, the '90s and then the 2000s and the remakes and stuff. It's that cycle again and again yeah. and again. So yeah. it's it's all kind of tied together, and I think yeah. it's really cool. So sort of a spoiler for Robert England's book. He said that before he met Wes Craven the first time, mm-hmm. he was familiar with him. He goes, but the only time I ever saw his older movies. Mm-hmm were playing in bars that I would frequent. Yeah. And when they got sick of showing Eraserhead uh, all over and over again, they'd put in, like, Last House on the Left. And he goes, I I knew that they were raw, but they were also kind of artsy. He goes, so I was expecting, like, to meet David Lynch. Yeah. I wasn't expecting to meet this, like, well-to-do, really prim and proper spoken guy. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, he's, it's just Americana personified. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. 
Just made me think of that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and also, in addition to the cycle of violence, I think, as one of the main themes, I think the big basis of Nightmare on Elm Street is about belief, and specifically belief systems. And it's not necessarily just religion or whatever. It's just believing in something. And if you believe in something, that means it's real for you, whether it's real for anyone else or not. And that can have tremendous effects on your life and other people's lives that can be good or bad yeah you can, right. you can look at religion good or bad and you can look at it in this series as good or bad because it saved some people but it also hurt some people mm. and it was ineffective for some people if they didn't believe strong enough i think like you look at examples like belief in religion you look at the holy water in part three that, that ripped freddie apart um, but you also had like crosses and things that would fall off the walls and just were ineffective. Yeah. They never went into the religion so much, but the belief system was there and it helped the people that were really, that did believe in it. But then you look at other things like Alice's character arc in part four specifically, where it's belief in herself and where the whole theme of the mirror and as she's taking her friend's pictures down off of it, she's starting to see herself and believe in herself. And that belief in herself is what allows her to stop Freddy Krueger, which also goes kind of into Nancy's character of believing in herself and her own powers uh, back in the original movie that helped her kill Freddy. And also belief in others, of course, like the Dream Warriors and a bunch of the movies where you bring in your friends. And if you believe that we have power together, then you do. And you can affect change through belief in community in that way. So it's... I think it's really cool, even in, like I said, some of the movies that don't mean a whole lot, you still see that thread of belief throughout the movies. And just believing in the dream demon itself in New Nightmare was something that brought it into existence. So I think that's very much a manifestation of trauma. Believing in it and letting it affect you will affect you. Yeah. I don't know why I just thought of this, but it's like people like, the, you have like imaginary friends if when you're a kid. Some people yeah. do, some people don't. Some people never give that up. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, like Rescue Me did that, yeah. where, like, he had imaginary yeah. friends. And they can lead you to do really good things, but some of them can lead you to do really bad yeah. things. Yeah. So, belief is very powerful. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think those are... So, overall, I think the Nightmare movies have kind of the strongest impacts. I think one of the reasons it's endured so long, not just because Freddy Krueger and Robert England yeah. are fantastic in the character, which is a huge part of it, but also because of the themes that were infused in it right from the start that you can't take those out once it's there. And it's even in the remake that's not very good. The belief stuff isn't, it's harder to find, but it's still kind of in there because of the whole nature of the dream sequence. Yeah. I think it's a really good way to have a metaphor. That's what horror does great is creating metaphors out of real life things and yeah. nightmare when you have a dreamscape like that, it's easy to do it. Uh, not so easy to do it well, but it's easy to do it and keep it. So, yeah, that's that's kind of what I want to say. Nice. Well said. Thanks. I hope so. All right. Uh, all right. So, you ready for my list? Totally. Okay. That was a good tease. All right. So, coming in at number nine, no surprise to you or I, it is the Nightmare on Elm Street 2010 remake. Right. It's just not very good. Sorry. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Coming in, I, I don't think it's so much that we didn't grow up on it. It's just, yeah. it's just like, not. A, it's yeah. just a bland, generic, twenty ten late remake cycle movie. Like, yeah. it, it's felt like a cash in. That's, yeah. I, and I hate saying that because I think that all movies deserve a shot. Yeah. It just felt like a cash in, yeah. and nobody on the set apparently enjoyed doing it either. So, yeah. 
I'm now learning about how the use it or lose it licensing goes. Yeah. Like, seemed like that was probably why yeah. it was done. Yeah. You know, Fox runs into that a lot because they own a lot of stuff. Yeah. Disney's going to run into it a lot too now. Yeah. Just things like that. Yeah. It, it definitely felt like that. Coming in at number eight for me. It's unfortunate because I learned a lot more about this movie on this watching, but Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, oh, wow. I just can't get behind it. Yeah. But, well, I mean, that's only one lower than mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Ooh. laughs> but, yeah. Like, a lot of this principle, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I hate the ending. I hate, hate, hate the ending. Not just because of the stupid human face dogs and yeah. oh, yeah. all that. No, I know what you're going to say. But because of the way that Freddy is defeated in the movie. I talked about it. I'm not going to get back into it. Yeah. I enjoy the fact that this movie has opened up and researching it has opened me up to learning more about Mark Patton and his, uh, his life, basically, how it was affected. And if you haven't seen it, I mentioned it, I believe, on the, night, on the Freddy's Revenge episode we did. He has a documentary called Scream, Queen. And it's about his life up to and after making the movie. And he talks about his journey. And he does... I talked a lot about the writer and director in that. And in the documentary, I won't spoil it, but he does get a sense of closure for himself. He does talk to uh, the writer and director. I don't even want to talk about him. <laughs> but they still come off like douchebags. Yeah. But Mark himself gets some closure after talking to him. So... I'm glad for him that he was able to do that. And the fact that he's embraced what the movie has brought for him and for a certain culture, like, that's embraced by a culture, I think, yeah. is great. Even though I just can't get behind the movie. I, yeah. just, I like what and, it's affected, but I don't like the movie. And that's the thing, like, I, was, I talked about this on that episode as well. Like, he, he does the convention circuit. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I would hesitate going up and... Oh, no, getting a photo yeah. with I him. Love to meet him yeah. Number one, he seems like a cool guy. Number yeah. two, he's got the glove rocking with him. Yeah. So yeah, it's like that. I think that's really a case of we don't really like the movie that much, but there's good things that came out of it. And yeah. That's one of them. Absolutely. But I can't rank it just based on principle. Well, I can. The principle of I don't like the ending. Yeah. So yeah. And but I'm going to piggyback on one more thing before we get to your next one. Mm. Um, I, I was going to mention this before, but in the Never Sleep Again documentary, the two people that come off the best. Is Robert Resler and Clue Gulliger. Oh yeah, cool. <laughs> he is on. He is that's awesome. Just joking around with stuff, and he's definitely uh, a friend of Mark's. Like you could tell, cool. like that he's very uh, complimentary towards him. But he's just a funny freaking guy. Yeah. So those two guys really come off great. That's awesome. That they, they get it, and it's it's worth it just for that. I failed to mention Clue Gulliger is in my movie. I, I failed to mention his cameo. Oh well, don't uh, save for yeah. a surprise then, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he he makes a cameo in the movie, okay. so he's got to be in there. All right. Uh, okay, coming in at number seven on my list, Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare. Right. I, just, I just don't like it. I can't yeah. I can't get behind it. Mostly, I don't know what mostly it is. It's it's the fact that all the kid deaths happened in the first like thirty minutes, and then it was something else. Yeah. Um, I don't like the false protagonist thing, although they've done that twice in the series. Well, three if you count the remake. And sure. it, I don't know. It just didn't feel like it was put together super well, even though there are fun parts to it. Sure. And it and, does seem like a parallel universe. And yeah. And the 3D sequence, I hate it. So. Yeah, that's, that's the creative and I didn't like the final battle. And I didn't like the last shot of the movie. So it's yeah. it can't go any higher than seven. Fair enough. Coming in at number six, part five, The Dream Child, which... 
Yeah, you liked that movie more than I did. A little bit, yeah. I It was a little bit difficult for me to rank. I think I had the most issue between parts five and six. But overall, I enjoyed The Dream Child more. Some of the... I didn't like it a lot, but I liked it more because of some of the imagery. And yeah. I think that was mostly what it was, the imagery. And it felt more like a true nightmare movie rather than something else that they had to squeeze nightmare into in different parts like part uh, six did to me okay coming in at number five for me is part four the dream master all right i like it i don't love it it feels like it's well it's clearly derivative of other stuff yeah i'm just happy to beat everything else so far on the list (laughs) honestly as a fan of it i like it more now than i did previously i think part of that is your enthusiasm for it but also, it is better than some of these, the ones that came after it, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's, I, I have a better appreciation for it now. Okay. But I think my top four movies are just way better movies. Okay. So, coming in at number four for me is Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Right. Which, I, I had trouble with this one and the next one as well, because they're so incredibly different. But the final sequence in, finger quote, hell, kind of hurt it for me. Yeah. It, it wasn't super great. Good ideas. The execution was tough for the time period. Yeah, we we both weren't super excited about yeah, that scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, coming in at number three for me, Freddy vs. Jason. I love that movie. Yeah. It's it's great. Yeah. Um, that's that's all I can say about it. Yeah. Coming in at number two, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three: The Dream Warriors, because yeah. it's a fantastic movie, but you can't beat the first one. Coming in at number one, as pretty much always with these things, the original from 1984, Nightmare on Elm Street. Great, great movie. Scary, dark. The images in this movie are some of the greatest in any movie yeah. ever. Um, even though I like some of the stuff from Dream Warriors, the uh, marionette sequence with yeah. Will was great. I will point to Nightmare on Elm Street every time for multiple scenes throughout the movie. Just sure. Like, this is so, so good. And I might just be crazy right now, but <laughs> I they both have great actors in them. Yeah. They both have great moments. I'd say you are right. Part one is cinematically better. Yeah. I this one this go around I kind of went. Th- this is such a tie for me. Sure. That I, I know I'm kind of I'm not asking you to forgive my list <laughs> just because this is the first time we haven't agreed on a number one. Right. But uh, really, in my push right there, I just strictly went with the ending. <laughs> yeah, and I get that. Yeah, because yeah. I don't really like the ending of the original yeah. and the ending of part three, although it's sad that nancy died I mean, yeah that, that sucks but yeah. it made sense and the final shot of the movie is definitely a ton better than the final shots of the original yeah like the the paper mache house yeah. with the, the little doll outside like yeah. and it opens up to interpretation yeah. whereas the original it opens it up to interpretation but all the interpretations are bad it, it wrong so, and yeah. bad yeah and it was it's so bad that it, it even still made it just as bad in the in the remake. Yeah, yeah like exactly. the remake is the same bullshit ending basically. Yeah. So, but everything else I think in that movie, yeah. everything up to that point outweighs it for me personally. Yeah, I just wonder why the, the, he never George Lucas did. You know, if he'd have done that, and, and, yeah. and you know, I'm like, not a fan of that either. I know, I know, you got to abandon it at some <laughs> yeah. point, but. Yeah, that's really where I came from yeah, uh, doing sense. this list, yeah. and I, I didn't do it just to be different because I, re- you know, like I said, we've had sure. the same number one every time. But yeah, that's just how I was feeling at this time. So, yeah, and that's that's fair. Yeah, 
Of course I love part one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is all, it's all subjective to a certain extent. I mean, some movies are, are better than others, clearly, yeah. but... Yeah, if anybody's going to put part two over part one, yeah. I'm sorry. Like, like, like you just, I can't have a conversation, I don't yeah. think I can have a conversation with that person. <laughs> but when you get into the minutiae of it, like, yeah, you can, it's it's all kind of subjective, but overall, like, yeah, the remake's not better than part one than the original. You can say you can like it more, but it's not a better movie. Yeah. I don't know who would like it more. I don't know if I want to talk to them. Uh, yeah. It would be interesting to talk to them. Yeah. If, if you like the remake better than part one, leave us a comment. Yeah, they could talk about that till they're blue in the face, but yeah. I probably would still just be like, I, I just don't reach you. I, I'm <laughs> right. sorry. That's great that you love it so much. Yeah. What, I, I guess it is. I don't know. <laughs> but I think the main idea here is, is that we need justice for Freddy Krueger, Robert England, and Wes Craven. Yeah. And really, this is very simple. All you have to do is do what John Carpenter just did with Halloween and whatever they allowed him to do with it. Mm-hmm. Whatever they allowed him to do with it worked, you know, is a perfect no. But it is it is fitting. It is justified. Mm-hmm. It is, it's all good. And that's all Nightmare on Elm Street needs. It needs even just one more time. Even just one more ride, one more shot. Use Chris's idea. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but... You know, that's if you want to carry it in. And like, I think that that's really cool that you could have a, a one that maybe do like one fun one like that, like like Halloween is basically, which yeah. has a lot of the sequel based stuff in there. Yeah. But then, like, the, if you do a second one, yeah, use Chris's thing, so that way you can get somebody to you know carry on the baton yeah. afterwards. So, yeah. but he's owed, and Robert's owed, and Wes is owed a full circle with this franchise because it's gotten so far away from them. And even Wes, you know, hey man, Robert, I'm sure loved Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. Wes didn't. Yeah. I don't know if you can get to do that, but, you know, someone could do it. Maybe that guy that I mentioned before, uh, the New Mutants guy. <laughs> right. But something tastefully done that is fan-friendly and there's not... A whole lot to complain about. Yeah, like, I, I feel like it still can be done. It seems so simple, but it seems like it's the hardest thing to do right now. I mean, I think Robert England has a the best hold on the character in the franchise out of anyone living in the world today. Yeah. So he could definitely be one of the the producers or executive producers on it. Yeah. So that's uh, any he's directed before. So yeah. yeah. That'd be cool. I don't know if you want to jump into that. That's, that, that's, that's a, a lot. That's a big response. It's an yeah. awesome responsibility for yeah. sure. Plus being in it and all that, that that'd yeah. be tough. Yeah. So, but I'm just saying, I, I, you know, hell, at this point, if they never make another Friday the 13th movie, I'd be like, okay, that last one was good and I, yeah. I, I really love it. Yeah. Uh, same thing with Halloween, even though we know at this recording they're doing two more. Yeah. They're already on the table. So I just want to have at least that one movie where I'm like, okay, if they don't do another one, fine. At least they ended on a good note. I don't. Right. I know everybody's so desperate to like go out well, yeah. but you know these movies deserve it. Like yeah. if they never make another Star Wars, which you know that they're not. Of course they're going to make more Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, for sure. But I'm totally cool with this last one. You know, like things like that. Like yeah. I just needed to be like, if it ended tomorrow, if the world blew up, then it went out on a good note. That's all I'm trying to say, because, God, we just can't have it the way that it was yeah. when we last left you. And Yeah, <laughs> and the mythology of Nightmare on Elm Street is such that you can continue it forever, because you can just keep passing on yeah. the dream powers to whoever, yeah. and just keep reinventing it. Don't try to repackage the past and feed it to us again. Just reinvent and do something else yeah. that has that's in the same vein. It's, it's possible. People will accept that. People will accept it more than 
than giving us just a rehash of what we've seen before. Yeah, exactly. And revise that AFI list and put Freddy up there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Top ten, for sure. Yeah, all right. All right, that's all I got, Chris. That's all I got. Yeah. I think it was a another fun series to do. It's uncharted waters at this point. I don't know what we're going to do next. We've had lots of off-the-air discussions about possibly what big franchise retrospective yeah. will do next. But i got some ideas. They won't be as long, my yeah. ideas, but we'll see. Yeah, we need to do one that's, that's that's a lot shorter, at least initially, because all of these have been really big to-dos, and they've been fun to do, but they've also been a lot. You know, so we need something that's kind of like the Apocalypse trilogy, where it was three, three and out, you know, kind of yeah. thing. So, yeah. but we don't know. You'll find out what we do at some point. And the last theater, which you can find on cnjradio.com, the home of the CNJ Radio family of podcasts, and go to our Facebook and the Twitter at the Last Theater. Leave us a comment. Did you like the remake? All right. Why? Do you, like, do you like Dream Warriors better than Part 1? Yeah. Or the opposite? Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. So any comments are good. Leave it all there. And yeah, just keep checking back on cnjradio.com. Probably some single one-off episodes I'll be doing pretty soon, sooner than later, yeah. on there. So yeah, check it out. And retweet this episode to New Line for their new film idea. Yeah. Do yeah. that. Don't don't steal it, please. They can't. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll win a lot of money <laughs> right. if they do. Right? Yeah, please, please steal something. Okay. <laughs> all right. Thanks everybody so much for listening to this entire franchise and all the other ones. If you have, just appreciate you guys being friends of ours. And uh, I look forward to the next franchise wrap with Chris and whatever else you're doing here on the show. So keep up the great work, Chris. All right. Bye.